0: the Director of Adult Education here at Mosaic. Our lead pastor, Pastor Morgan is out for a couple of weeks on vacation and I get to be with you today. I'm so grateful for this opportunity. Now, if you are new here, you may not know that Mosaic Church is part of a greater, a larger global spiritual family called Every Nation. And Every Nation has churches and campus ministries around the globe in over 80 nations. And our mission is to make disciples and to honor God. And we do this through church planning, world missions, and campus ministries. Now, each year, we take a specific moment to connect with this global family of churches through not only a week of prayer and fasting, but through a common teaching series. This year's series for the month of January looks at the names and character qualities of the God of the Bible and how he's revealed himself in incredible ways to men and women throughout time and cultures. Now, this collective series is called Awesome God, and I'm so grateful that I get to experience it with you and we get to experience with our family and friends around the world. Before we jump in, let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for today, this moment, right here, right now. Please center our hearts so that we can hear what you desire to reveal to us. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, y'all, grab your Bible. You can get the one on your coffee table right now. We're going to start in Genesis 35. I'll read it for you, but I invite you to read along as well. After Jacob returned from Padam Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number a nation and a community of nations will come from you and kings will be among your descendants. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you. And I will give this land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at the place where he had talked with him. Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him and he poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured oil on it. Jacob called the place where God had talked with him Bethel. Amen. Now, research suggests that self-disclosure or revealing information and attributes about yourself is a fundamental way that relationship bonds are established, developed, and maintained. Now, let's be honest. Revealing intimate information about oneself, it can be risky. It can be awkward. It can even incite judgment. The majority of the time, the, the self-disclosure or self-revelation, it builds mutual bonds and it becomes the foundation and the glue in our relationship with other, others. Now, here are a few ways that self-disclosure or revealing attributes of yourself helps connect deeper with others. Trust builds trust, especially mutual self-disclosure. And then there's intimacy. It creates intimacy between two parties. It can make you feel special. It says that I want you to know me because you are important to me. And then there's connection. It offers connection by giving you a go-to person for that particular attribute or service. Now here's an example. I grew up building and working on structures and cars with my, my dad. We built like a, a huge wooden deck in our backyard. We built a 64 Chevy Nova from the ground up. If there was something broken around the house, my dad never called anybody. He would fix it himself and I would be his trusty sidekick. Well, as an adult now, I can't really shake that desire to fix things. It's a blessing and a curse. <laughs> but the other day, um, our dryer broke down. And before my husband really called someone, I said, babe, let me take a look at it. He said, okay, fine. So I go and I take a look at it. But when he comes to check on me, taking a look at it, I have the dryer completely dismantled. There's the drum of the dryer over here, the electrical panel over here. And then I'm sitting in a matrix of of screws. He looks at me and kind of laughs like, I thought you were just going to look at it. And I go, babe, don't worry. I diagnosed the problem. I've ordered the part. It's the heating element. It'll be here Thursday and I'll have everything back together. He just, my blesses, bless him. He just nods and grins and just goes on. Um, So now that I've revealed myself to you as a dryer technician, Possibly, Uh, maybe even a mechanic. Somebody's thinking, you know, I've been needing someone to take a look at my my car, or my dryer element could be, my my heating element in my dryer could be switched out. I wonder if RODS is available. Now, I know this because I shared this story with some friends the other day, and one came back to me and said, hey, you know what? My dryer was on the fritz, and I almost called you. I mean, that's expected, right? You reveal to someone that you're a doctor or a nurse, and nine times out of 10, they've got a rash that they need you to look at. It's because beneath that the revelation of someone's special attributes or their qualities, the receiver hears a quiet invitation to connect. Like, how could this attribute or revelation benefit me? And then the greater the revelation the louder the invitation. This is not a bad thing. It's a natural part of forming relationships. Now, it's the receiver's reaction to an interpretation of the revelation that is the important factor in how the disclosure will affect the relationship. We see this play out over and over again in the Bible. As God pursues and encounters men and women in the Bible, he reveals attributes of himself. And in each instance, there's a particular name of God that captures the attribute that God is revealing about himself. Take, for instance, last week, we learned about El Roy, that God encounters Hagar and she's feeling unseen and unloved. And God reveals to her that he is, it's el the God who sees, or, or the children of Israel. They've gotten sidetracked by sickness and disease in the land, and they're wondering if God will help them. And he revealed himself to him, them as Jehovah Rapha, the, the Lord who heals. And then there's Gideon in the Bible. When it felt like God had abandoned Gideon and his people to, the, to the, the, their enemies, the Midianites, Gideon says, uh, pardon me, Lord. But it, it, if the Lord is with us, then why are all these bad things happening to us? And and God has to tell Gideon, be strong, Gideon, don't fear. He he reveals to Gideon that he is Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. And then there was Jeremiah. He tells Jeremiah, I I see Jeremiah. I see that the nation is in turmoil. I see that the people are divided. Jeremiah, you say the people have scattered like sheep. I, I see that, but don't fear, Jeremiah. Tell the people that a king is and he shall be called Jehovah Siknu. God, God reveals to Jeremiah that he is the Lord our righteousness. And then here in Genesis 35, we meet Jacob, and Jacob's at a very pivotal point in his life. He's feeling a little bit powerless, and God reveals to Jacob that he is El Shaddai. Almighty God. God See, God originally made this this revelation to Abraham, and then this is Jacob's grandfather, who he had to have passed it down to Isaac, Jacob's dad, because this is the name of God that Isaac uses when he blesses Jacob, as Jacob is preparing to leave for Padam Aram. This is the name of God that Isaac uses. So he says, may God Almighty, El Shaddai, bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. So when God reveals himself to Jacob as El Shaddai, it's not the first time he's heard this name, but it's the first time that God that he that it's the first time that God has revealed it, it to him. There's an important distinction that can be made here. See, we can hear the word of God, but it's relationship that enables the revelation. Now, as we mentioned before, and this is an important point, it is the receiver's reaction to an interpretation of the revelation that is the important factor in how the disclosure will now affect the relationship going forward. Now, although God reveals that he is El Shaddai, God Almighty, to Jacob, the ball is now in Jacob's court and how he's going to respond to the revelation. So, what is Jacob going to do with what God reveals to him? I'm glad you asked. We'll get there in two points. First, there are two key moments that in this portion of Genesis 35 that I believe can help us as God continues to reveal himself to us. Before God makes this revelation to Jacob, he redeems Jacob. Now, Jacob has a lot of stuff he's dealing with. And he, he cannot properly react to the revelation without receiving the redemptive grace of God. Even still, before God redeems Jacob, there, there's some information that he has to recall to Jacob. So he recalls to Jacob that uh, that I believe um, he that enables Jacob to truly walk in the redeeming grace of God. So he recalls something to Jacob. So other three, recall, redeem, reveals We're going to begin with recalls. Now in Genesis 35, 10, God appears to Jacob and he says this. He says, your name is Jacob. Your name is Jacob. So now I've decided to be transparent in 2021. I mean, that's just who I am today. I'm transparent. In fact, today I am going to reveal a secret that my husband and I have kept for 14 years, almost 14 years now. But before I do that, let me be honest. In particular, about this portion of Scripture. See, at first glance, I could not put my finger on why God needed to recall to Jacob his name. Now, don't judge me. I believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. It just took me a minute to see what was going on here. I mean, here's why. Jacob has two wives. He has two assistant wives, we'll call them. He has a mother, a father, a twin brother named Esau. And at this point in his life, he has 12 kids, 11 boys and a daughter. He also has an uncle Laban who has selfishly taken advantage of Jacob for over 20 years now. Uh, just- Jacob has heard his name called thousands of times. Can you imagine those wives? Jacob, these kids need your attention. Jacob, the kids need some milk. Jacob, I need some attention. Jacob, you love Rachel more than you love me. And then there's Uncle Laban. Jacob, these cows need some attention. My point is Jacob knows his name. So why does God see fit to recall to Jacob his name in this particular instance? And then as I pondered this thought a story came to mind, and it's the secret that Brad and I have kept for nearly 14 years now. See, after getting married, Brad and I, we went on a honeymoon to Riviera Maya, Mexico, a beautiful resort in Mexico. And then during our stay there, we decided to take an excursion because we were young and we were having fun and we're going on this excursion. Well, the excursion was on four wheelers through a jungle-like, very wooded region. Um, Lots of trees, foliage, and it's on a, a narrow path. Well, as we're speeding through this path, we're, we're honeymooning, so we're both on the same 4 wheeler and I'm holding on, and we're laughing, and we're having fun. But on the opposite side of this path that we're on, this trail, comes an excursion of horses, people on horseback. And the horses got spooked by the four-wheelers and to avoid a head-on collision with one of the horses, my husband maneuvered the the four-wheeler and it tossed both of us off. Now I landed head first, face first into the ground. The four-wheeler fell on top of me. I I landed into the hard ground. There's uh, actually poison ivy all around me. I landed just a few uh, inches from a, a barbed wire fence and a huge tree. When I came to, because he has to get the, the, the four-wheeler off of me, and um, I came to to him saying, you've got to wake up, you've got to wake up. And I had on these shield glasses that were now all scratched up. They had been poked and, and pushed by the, the ground and the, the foliage and the tree branches on the ground. And they actually pushed into my skin, causing these very dark contusions that were black black eyes. They looked very similar to huge black eyes. And we we saw doctors, but I was fine. The rest of the honeymoon, we were in slow motion. I mean, we didn't even walk fast. This was scary. Um, And then we had, we spent the time like n- n- avoiding eye contact. We, we avoided people at all costs. And this is for several reasons, because we were ashamed. It was, we were, I was finishing my, my doctorate degree in engineering and he was going into his second year in the NFL. And we had put our lives and our careers on the line for a few moments of fun, temporary pleasure. And then on top of that, what would people say? What would they say? What would they assume happened to me? I'm walking around with this tall, handsome, muscular guy, and I I have these two big black eyes. How would they perceive my new husband? And then Brad's career was a a very public career. What rumors would people create about my husband and our relationship? So I began to carry shame, shame, shame. And more shame. I I would walk with my head down and and slumped over. And even if it was conjured up, the shame was conjured up by my own insecurities, it existed and it was heavy. It felt like I was wearing shame on my face, but the shame was not just attaching itself to my outward appearance. It was now attaching itself to my inward identity. The shame was affecting how I communicate and how I relate to people. That night we had reservations at a hibachi restaurant. We love hibachi and we were determined to eat. And so we just formed a plan. We would take a path that avoided people. And at the table, we were just hoping that we reserved the table and we could be alone. And so when we got there, we actually weren't alone. It was one other couple sitting there, but we had a plan. We would just stare in each other's eyes because there wasn't enough makeup to cover these big black eyes. So we would just look at each other. And I would, I would look at my new husband and we would just talk about our future together. We kind of went over the day's events and how it was kind of scary. And we were glad each other was all right. But as we are talking and just kind of loving on each other, this guy, he kept, keeps leaning over and trying to get into the conversation. He's trying to get Brad's attention. And, and at one point he says, I know you. And Brad says, you don't know me, man. He goes, yeah, I know you. Brad says, no, man, you don't know me. And He kind of ignored the man and the man finally yells out, Trickster, New York Jets. You see, Brad, he would run special plays with the Jets, oftentimes deceiving the opponent. The other team would not know if he was going to run or if he was going to throw the ball. And the man begins to recall all of Brad's Brad's plays. He recalled coming to the the games and seeing him play on the field. He started recalling his, his college career, all his records. He's telling us all about Brad's career. The only problem is we couldn't engage in relationship or even a meaningful conversation because we were carrying this shame what would he think what what would he tell people how will they respond to me and this blemish that now feels like it defines who i am this is where god finds jacob Jacob has made some mistakes in his life, but he, he's trying to do all the right things now. He, he's walking in slow motion. He's trying to just get it right this time. But he has this blemish, this shame that he can't seem to shake. And maybe the people around him, they can't see it, but he feels it. He, he, he feels it. It is always like front and center. He feels like it's always right there defining who he was. Jacob is feeling like everybody knows what I did. And his this weight of shame, it's just too heavy for him to engage in a, a meaningful relationship with God. He, he and it's too heavy for him to even participate in the mission that God was calling him to. So God meets him here. And like the man at the hibachi grill, he goes, I know you. However, this is not a chance encounter. This is not the first time God and Jacob have met. You see, only this time there's there's something that God wants to reveal to Jacob. There's a relationship that God wants to forge with him. But first, there's some learning and some unlearning that has to take place. Jacob has to learn that God knows all about him. The shameful parts too. And he has to unlearn to carry the shame of who he was. Here's some background. You see, Jacob was the second born twin. There was Esau and then there was Jacob. Culturally, this meant his older brother would receive the greater inheritance and primary leadership in the family. Unfortunately, this contradicts the word that God gave Rebekah, which is Jacob's mother, that Jacob would be the primary leader of the family and that Esau would actually serve Jacob. So Jacob and Rebekah, they created a plan that would cheat Esau, the firstborn, out of his birthright blessing. The plan worked. Jacob received the blessing of his father, which was intended for Esau. Only I'm not sure Jacob and Rebekah anticipated Esau's response. He wanted revenge. So to save his life, Jacob has to flee to his uncle Laban's estate, which is 400 miles away, over 400 miles away. And God begins this conversation in Genesis 35 with Jacob by getting in Jacob's business. Your name is Jacob. Trickster. You see, Jacob's name, it was a Hebrew idiom that means deceiver. And at one point, In Esau's anger, his rage, he says, that's why they named you Jacob. You are who your name says you are. See, Jacob has struggled with his identity and the shame that his name carries for a long time. His whole life, the shameful identity he's assumed, his struggle with men, his 400 mile walk of shame. it, It was different from what God was calling him to. God was calling him to a different identity. Maybe this is you. It's been me assuming an identity that was not reflective of God's image of me wearing a shame and a heaviness that was not that I was not created to carry see God sees the pain of Jacob's shame and by recalling his name God is telling him I know your name Jacob I know the shame that you're carrying I was there when you deceived your dying father and stole your twin brother's birthright. I was there when the decisions you made almost cost your life. The shame that you carry from that sin, it does not escape me, Jacob. By recalling his name, God is reminding Jacob, I was there before you knew I was there. I was a fan before you knew I was watching. I didn't like every decision that you made, but I loved you, Jacob, so I pursued you and I waited. God is telling Jacob, I waited until you were ready to exchange your shame for my name. So God redeems Jacob by changing his name. Redeems. Now in redeeming Jacob, he tells him this, but your name, you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. Israel meaning God fights. This name was redeeming for Jacob because Jacob had these competing struggles his whole life. He and his twin brother, they literally struggled with each other in the womb. Jacob came out of the womb, struggling, clutching his twin brother's heel, struggling, to compete with him. He struggled for, for acceptance from his father. He struggled to prove his worth as a son. He struggled to prove his worth as a husband And his wife, when his wife, Rachel, couldn't have bear children. He, 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 at one point, he, she blames him. And in his frustration, he yells out, am I God? He's been in a struggle. He struggled with God. As he was returning to be reconciled to his brother, he struggled under the stars at night with God his whole life, it's been a struggle. Only the struggle, it does not match the promise that God gave to his grandfather, Abraham, which was to bless his descendants. And the struggle does not match the promise to his mother, Rebecca, that Jacob would be the leader of the family. Instead, Jacob has a name and actions that were indicative of manipulation and deception. And Jacob knew. He knew that lying, manipulation, deception, they were no, not attributes indicative of a godly leader. But he was struggling. He was struggling, fighting to make his own plans fulfill God's promise. And that was never God's intentions. See, by naming Jacob Israel, God fights. God is saying the struggle is not yours anymore. I just need you to surrender to me. And in that surrender, God takes his shame And he gives him a new name. Your shame for my name, God is telling him. I liken this name change to baptism. You see, when we accept Jesus as our savior, water baptism symbolizes our redemption and in which our guilt is washed away and we rise with newness of life. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, accepting the fact that he died on the cross to forgive us of our sins, our heavenly name is changed and we now, have access to new life and eternity with Jesus by way of the name of Jesus. Paul in Romans 6, he explains it this way. He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the father, we too may live a new life. Your shame For my name is what God is saying. The remaining renaming is a a rebirth for Jacob. And just like baptism is a rebirth for us, the offer still stands. Like it stood for Jacob, it stands for you and I. Your shame for his name. Listen, God knows your name, how it's been misused and rejected. He never intended for that to be your identity. He knows who we were, what we did. He even knows our rationale for why we did it. And it still does not surprise or detour him. God loves us and his love covers a multitude of sin. The story here the, is the storyteller here is, is uh, Moses in Genesis. He, he does not hesitate in telling us what's next. He says, God changes Jacob's name to Israel. Then he reveals an accessible attribute of himself to Israel, finally reveals. So he named him Israel and God said to him, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai, God Almighty. He reveals to Israel that he is El Shaddai. Jacob or Israel now, he's heard the name of God Almighty before, but now relationship enables revelation. Have you ever had some news that you just couldn't hold any longer? This is where God is. God is like, I've, I've been wanting to reveal this to you, Jacob. I just needed to dismantle some shame and remind you of your identity in me. And now here's the breaking news. It's me. <laughs> the one you've wrestled with, Jacob, the, the one who keeps calling your name in the midnight hour. I know getting here has felt like a struggle, but I'm in the struggle with you, Jacob. Now, when Jacob receives his redemptive name and he understands the revealed attribute of God, he's in a space now to fulfill the mission that God has for his life. Here's that mission God tells him, Be fruitful an increase in number, a nation and a community of nations will come from you and kings will be among your descendants. What did Jacob do with the knowledge of God's revelation? This is what he did. Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him and he poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured oil on it. He worshiped. He built an altar and he worshiped. <laughs> the altar signified acceptance of his new identity, submission to God Almighty, and a commitment to, to the mission of God, a commitment to tell future, future generations of who God Almighty was. That was a, a big commission. Because of this revelation or, or self-disclosure to Jacob, Jacob now understood that he and us with the future generations, we have now perpetual access to almighty God. I believe there's there's more that God wants to reveal to us individually and corporately, but it has to start with relationship. If you're listening and you've not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to ask you to take a moment to just ask Jesus into your life. Ask him to forgive you for your sins and accept his new identity, that new identity that he wants to give to you. And then for those of you who are, who are in relation, you've accepted Jesus as your savior, but you are looking for a more intimate relationship with him. You, you want what he has to reveal to you. I want you to hear this. Just before God recalls, redeems, and reveals himself to Jacob, God actually asked Jacob to take an intentional step of submission. This submission was in the form of worship, but this worship, it would cost Jacob's household something. It would cost their idols. He says this to Jacob. So Jacob said, sorry, Jacob says this. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Essentially, Jacob is saying to his family, it's time to clean up. Get the idols out the house because God's got something to reveal to us. He said it to Jacob and he's saying it to us. He wants to reveal more of himself to us. Jesus even uses an illustration so that we could more readily comprehend his desire for relationship with us. He says this, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. The problem is when there's too much noise in the room, you can't hear a knock at the door. So this week, as a church, we're going to take some intentional steps to quiet the noise. Or as Jacob says, Get the idols out. We're gonna purify ourselves because God's got something that he wants to reveal to us. One way God enables us to to get rid of our idols and to purify ourselves is through the discipline of fasting. Mosaic, along with our Every Nation Church family, will take part in a week of prayer, fasting, and consecration to begin this new year. Y'all, we're gonna take this time to clear out the idols. The idols of food, the beverage idols, the news cycle idols, the the social media idols. We've got to purify our minds and our bodies. Quiet the noise because God's got something that he wants to reveal to us. I want to invite you to join in as we surrender to God this week in prayer, fasting, and consecration. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for taking our shame and extending to us a new name, the name that is higher than every other name, Jesus. Now, as you stand at the door and knock, God, help us to humble our hearts in prayer and fasting and consecration this week so that we can hear the knock and receive how you desire to reveal yourself to us in 2021. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.